0: Everybody doing all right? Okay, we're going to be continuing uh, our study in the book of Philemon. If you'll open up your Bibles there. Some of you tonight, you're probably going to be watching it on your, you're not, not watching, I'm sorry, opening up the Bible to your, on your phone, right? If I see anybody standing up cheering, I know what's going on. That's right. They're just excited about the Bible passage. I'm sure. All right, we're looking at Philemon. I want to start off by uh, telling you a story. There was a man by the name of Mitsuo Fuchida. I hope I said that right. That's a Japanese name. Uh, I don't pretend to be able to speak it. I asked Stephen, and he's like, yeah, that sounds about right. So, all right, we'll go with that. Mitsuo Fuchida. He was an infamous infamous Japanese fighter pilot that led an attack on Pearl Harbor. From childhood, Fuchida dreamt of being a mighty warrior who would deal a death blow to the West in the name of Japan. On the morning of December 7th, 1941, his blow de- dealt death to over 2,000 American soldiers at Pearl Harbor. In the summer of 1942, Fuchida, he was in the sick bay of a carrier in the ocean, recovering from an emergency appendectomy. When all of a sudden he heard a, loud, a lot of fighting going on outside, so he left the sick bay and he went out on top of the carrier to see all the fighting that was going on. Just in time, there was a blast that knocked a hole in the side of the ship, killing everybody that was in the sick bay. He narrowly escaped death. On August 5th, 1945, he found himself in the city of Hiroshima on military business. A mere hours, he left the city to return to another base, and in that time, the U.S. forces dropped an atomic bomb which decimated the city that he was just at. Once again, he narrowly escaped death. He began to ask questions like, why was my life spared a second time? It was just a few days later that the war had ended, and he's left wondering, why did all of this take place? He was bitter, his heart was filled with hatred for what the Americans had done to Japan. One day he was walking through a busy bus station when he was approached by a man that handed him a pamphlet. The name of the pamphlet was, I was a prisoner of Japan. So he began to read this pamphlet that was about an American man named Jake DeShazer who was captured and tortured by the Japanese. DeShazer had come to faith in prison camp and had returned to Japan to share the gospel, determined to reach the people that had been his enemies before. A few days later at the same station, Fuchida met a man that was handing out free Bibles. Fuchida said that on that day in 1950, I became a new person. I put my faith in Christ. Pushida he became an international evangelist, leading thousands and thousands of people to faith in Christ. He longed for forgiveness, but he said that it wasn't the kind of forgiveness that came from God. But he wanted forgiveness from Jake the Shazer, the one who had formerly been his enemy, whose testimony had led him to have peace with God. You see, he recognized that name of that man because he was a man that was in a prison camp that he was at as a Japanese soldier. Deshazer had been sharing the love of Jesus in Japan for many years at that point. But this man, uh, Fushida, he began to wonder, is there any way that he could forgive me? The one who led the charge on Pearl Harbor, the one that had killed many American lives, it was partly my fault that he had spent years as a prisoner in Japan. He said, so I went to his house and I knocked on his door. I had the desire to meet you, Mr. DeShazer. My name is Mitsuo Fushida, he said. It took a moment for him to recognize his name, but he did recognize it. He knew who he was. He knew everything that he had done. He said, to my relief, a smile came across his face and he invited him into his home. He said, that day through the love of Jesus, we former enemies embraced as brothers in Christ's love. Can I tell you that this kind of forgiveness is foreign in our society? We do not have a society that is very forgiving. We have a society that teaches us to retaliate, to fight back, not to forget, never forgive, to hold grudges don't let them get away with it, is what society teaches us to do. And sadly, that mentality has bled over into churches where people are very, it's, not, it's very difficult for them to forget what somebody's done to them. Would you agree with me? Christians, of all people, should be, be the people that forgive the best. But many times, we're the ones that hold on to what people have done to us the most. It shouldn't be that way. There are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There can be no relationships that last time unless you become good at forgiving. The book of Philemon is meant to be a picture of forgiveness because I've been forgiven much. I should be a person that forgives other people much. Because I've been graced, I give grace. I've been forgiven a debt that I couldn't pay, so I am to forgive the debts of other people, even when it's difficult. And let me say that as we start out, we have to get this basic principle down about forgiveness. Until I grasp my own sinfulness, I'll never be able to forgive other people like I should. I want to say that one more time. This is the key to forgiveness. Never forget this statement. Until I grasp my own sinfulness, I will never be able to forgive other people like I should. Because it's only when you felt the, the, the deep grace of Jesus Christ forgiving you that you were able to extend that same grace to other people. So, as we look at the book of Philemon, remember, remember the, the setting. Philemon was a Christian that was living in the city of Colossae. We believe that he was led to faith by the Apostle Paul. He went back to his home city of Colossae to establish a church. And as he was there, he had a slave by the name of Onesimus, a slave that stole from him. He took money from him and he ran for the city of, of Rome. To, to, to go into the thousands and thousands of slaves that were there. And he thought he was running for freedom. And the interesting thing is that when he got to Rome, Rome was a city filled with one to two million people. And of all people that he runs into, he runs into the Apostle Paul, who had led Philemon to the Lord. And here's Onesimus, the slave of Philemon, that ran away from him, stole from him, and he runs into Paul. And Paul leads him to the faith in Christ as well. As he begins to tell him about what happened in his life and about how he had stolen from his former master, Paul realizes that he has sinned against another believer in Christ. And he doesn't feel good about it. He said, I can't just let this go on. You need to go to him and you need to make things right. He's your brother in Christ. It's a call for a believer to forgive like you've been forgiven. The theme of the book of Philemon is forgiveness. One of, one of the things I love about this book is this. Never is the word forgiveness ever used. Does that blow your mind? It's almost like the Holy Spirit made it a fill-in-the-blank type book. It wanted, it's almost like forgiveness needed to be modeled instead of talked about. Isn't that interesting? We need to see it lived out instead of just spoken about. I would think you all would agree with me that there's lots of talk about forgiveness today in churches, but rarely is it seen. And in the book of Philemon, he says, I want forgiveness to be modeled, and so he models it for us. And Paul never gives uh, biblical principles, he never says, I command you to do this, he simply requests him to forgive this brother in Christ. So he writes this letter and he sends him back to make things right with his brother, And what I want us to do tonight is this. I find it interesting. He never taught doctrinally why you're to forgive. He simply said, I appeal to you in love. Forgive your brother. I don't think uh, we today have a really good grasp of what forgiveness is really like. So what I want to do, just really quick, before we jump into this part of Philemon, I want us to get seven principles, and I'm going to go through them really quick, so be ready. I'm going to give you a Bible passage, and I want you to get seven principles on forgiveness. According to the Bible, this is what the Bible teaches. Now, first of all, it's not murder alone, which is forbidden by the Sixth Commandment, but it's a lack of forgiveness. When the Bible says, thou shalt not, what, kill, When you look at the New Testament, when you look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, it also talks about something else. It talks about the one that holds grudges, the one that hates his brother. And in God's economy, in God's mind, one that harbors hatred for his brother in Christ has chosen not to forgive. That is also what is commanded in Scripture, to forgive. Not to hate your brother in Christ. The second, whoever has offended uh, offended you has offended God greater. You don't hear that talked about very often. Whoever has offended you has offended God greater. This principle is brought up several times in scripture. When you think of David and Bathsheba, who did David sin against? He would just sin against many people. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his wife. He sinned against his children. He sinned against his country. He sinned against what? Most of all, he sinned against God. You remember in Psalm 51 verse 4, it says this, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You know what he's saying? Ultimately, God is holy. He's the most holy God. And all sin, in the end is an offense against him. And here's the principle that we learn in the Bible is this. If God, the most holy, has forgiven your brother of a greater sin, can you who's less holy forgive someone of the lesser sin? Do you understand the principle I'm trying to say? God's holy, and if he can forgive them of their sin, and he's the most holy one, if he can forgive them of their, all their sin that they've ever committed, and they can come to faith in Christ and have it all cleansed, can you not forgive them of the lesser sin that they committed against you? That's what the Bible teaches. Amen. The third thing is this. You will not enjoy forgiveness from God if you don't forgive others. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. It says, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When you refuse to forgive, you will stand before God with unforgiven sin under His discipline. Now understand what I'm, I'm not talking about loss of salvation, I'm talking about loss of fellowship. Another principle, number four, you will not enjoy the love of the brethren if you don't forgive. Look at Matthew 18, verse 31, you can see that principle marked out. The fifth principle is this, if you seek revenge, you will have usurped the authority of God. I like this one. Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says this. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Who's the job of revenge? It's God's, it's God's job. Anytime you choose to respond to somebody because of what they've done, what are you doing? You're trying to take God's job. You're trying to take his place. God, you're not doing this quick enough. God, you're not, you're not just. You're not quick enough. It's not the right time. What, or what you're doing is you are trying to take over God's job. And who's the one that's most fit to carry out judgment on somebody that's done wrong? Only God knows the thoughts and the intents of everybody's heart. The sixth principle is this. The absence of forgiveness makes you unfit for worship. Matthew chapter five verses twenty three and twenty four says this: Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and what? And offer the gift. Leave it at the altar. God says, if you're not willing to forgive your brother in Christ, don't even bring your worship. Don't even bring your your sacrifice to my temple leave it there and go make it right with him first, then come back. So how serious is God about forgiveness? It's a very serious matter. The last one, number seven, is the offense against you are, are your trials and temptations. Every time you have been offended, every time somebody does something wrong to you, it will either be a trial that will lead to spiritual growth in your life, or it'll be a temptation that you'll fail and it'll take you back in your spiritual walk with Christ. You have to view everything that happens in your life through that lens. Either it'll push you closer in becoming like Christ, or it will move you further back away from it. Now, with that said in mind, let's get into the book of Philemon, and we're going to look at his appeal for for Philemon to forgive. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that that which is convenient, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul's saying what? I could command this of you. Why? Why could Paul command him to do it? He was an apostle called by Jesus Christ to minister to the church. He said, I have, he, I love it because he basically, he's saying, I got this in my back pocket. If I need to use it, I will. But he's saying, I'd rather not. I could command it, but I want you to do what's right. You, what I love about this is, is that he's calling him to a higher standard. He's saying, live up to who you are in Jesus Christ. Do the right thing. I don't want to do it out of, out of my authority. I want you to do it with the right motive. And, and let me say this about forgiveness. What we need to understand is this, this concept. As much as you might want somebody else to forgive someone else, you can't force them into forgiveness. I've had several people uh, talk to me, even like last week, they were saying, you know, I, I just wish, I wish this person could hear it. And, and they, mean they have good intentions. I wish this person could hear that. And as much as you want it for them to forgive, what? You can't force it on them until they're willing to understand that unforgiveness is is like a jail cell that locks them up spiritually, until they recognize that fact, they will never really truly choose to forgive. And that's what Paul's proving right now. What's he saying? Philemon, I really want this for you. I don't want you to be entrapped in bitterness and anger And for you to be deeply disturbed about what Onesimus has done to you. It'll destroy you if you let it happen. But I'm not going to command it to you. I want you to realize that you need it yourself. And can I say that tonight, for all of us, that's a good message for us. As much as you want somebody else to forgive, it's something that they have to come to on their own. You see, Philemon had done nothing wrong. He was a godly man. He was just hoping that he would respond the right way. Now, I want you to notice a specific statement in this verse that's very important. Listen to this statement. Really good. Being such and one as Paul the aged. That's interesting. Paul's trying to soften up Philemon's heart to respond the right way. Paul was probably at this point as he's in jail. He's probably about 60 years old, which, by that, those standards, these days, that's not old. And what he's doing is this: he, in those days, they didn't have a long lifespan. And Paul is saying is that he's worn out, he's a missionary. He's been in jail, he's been beaten, he's had gone through all kinds of stuff. And time and experience has softened his heart to be a little bit more forgiving. Not so quick to be angry. Time has a way of helping you understand what's really important, doesn't it? I hope everybody listens to that part. Time has a way of helping you understand what's important. It can help you to be a little quicker to forgive somebody. Quicker to make things right. Not so eager to fight over stupid things that people get upset about. And Paul's saying, in my, year, in, in, in my experience, this is what I've gotten. I've never regretted forgiving somebody. I've always regretted the times where I waited too long. Anybody agree with that statement? Amen. I've never regretted, regretted forgiving somebody because I've found that when you release somebody else, what you're really doing is you're releasing yourself. Amen. That's right. Are you hearing me? Tonight, we need to forgive people because in the end, when you don't, the consequences are greater than if you choose to forgive. Understand, as we get into this passage, this is key to understanding this whole passage. I need you to picture and use your imagination. As Philemon is reading this letter, standing in front of him is who? Onesimus is standing there. He has his eyes locked on him. As he turns his eyes up from the page, he's seeing Onesimus, the one that had wronged him. And all the feelings and the emotions are flooding back into his heart from what he had done to him. There's a temptation to respond rashly and to be harsh with him, the temptation to have him killed or branded with an F. Paul's saying, Show him grace. because you've been graced. And what we're going to see tonight is this. There's three actions of a person that chooses to forgive. Three actions of a person that chooses to forgive. The first thing is this. Reception. Reception. You're like, what do you mean, Ryan, by reception? It has to deal with taking someone back. When they've wronged, when they've become repentant about what they've done, How do you respond to them when they've come to you and their life has been changed and they say, I'm sorry? Biblically speaking, as a believer, you are to receive that person like you're receiving what? Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. Verse 10 I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He's saying, I'm appealing to you, I'm begging you. Do it immediately. There's three reasons that he's going to give in the text why you should receive him back. Now, these are very key. Pay attention because as we get into this, understand this is talking about someone that's repentant. When somebody responds and they say, I'm wrong, I've done the wrong thing, I I don't have any excuse for what I did. And they come to you and they respond in that way. What do you do? You receive them. Now, if it's somebody that's not repentant, how, do you, how are you supposed to respond? You forgive, but you don't have to take them back into the right relationship. We don't have to enable their sin. Are you listening? We do not have to enable their sin. that They can just come right back and everything's going to be hunky-dory. No, you choose to forgive them because that's what you were called to do. You don't have to re- respond in the way that you just take them right back like nothing ever happened. That's not what it's teaching. When they choose to repent and they respond, you take them back into the relationship. Now let's get into this. He's ready to get back. Forgiveness begins with receiving somebody, closing the gap, fixing the rift, healing the wounds, letting them back into your life again. Look at what he says. Whom I have begotten in my bonds. Forgive Onesimus for he's he's become your brother in Christ. You might be wondering, well how do you know he's repentant? You wonder that by looking at the passage. He's my, he's your brother in Christ. I've begotten him in my bonds. Well, how do you know that Onesimus has repented? Because he's there. He went back. He did the most dangerous thing that he could have done. Do you understand that? He as a slave had absolutely nothing that he could do with the situation. He could have stayed in Rome, right? He could have just fled away when Paul told him to go back and make things right. He did the hardest thing he possibly could have done. He went and confronted the person that he had wronged. Regardless of the consequence, he had the right and the power to punish him. You know what repentance is? I have no excuse. I was wrong. I've sinned. And it changes your attitude it's not about saying a word as much as it is an action. Did you hear that part? It's not as much a word as it is an action. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 3, 8, it says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Don't just talk about it. Show it by the fruit of your life. Onesimus is coming humble with no excuse. He said, I was wrong. And listen to me. Every time you choose to repent... God's grace always flows to that person. I like this word, and I know you guys are like, oh, Ryan, don't bring out this missionary stuff. I'm going to bring it out on you tonight, all right? In Thai, this word, repentance, is a really interesting word. Uh, it's going to sound really long, and you guys are going to laugh, all right? You ready? The word for, in Thai for repentance is this, and what that means is this. "Klap" means to do a U-turn. Jai means heart. Sia means broken. Mai means new. And what it literally means is this. In Thai, they don't have a word for repentance, so they had to come up with a meaning behind it that would, be, it would stand out to somebody. And what it means is this. It's a broken heart that does a U-turn, and it's made new. That's what repentance is and what Onesimus did is that he said, I'm broken hearted about what I've done to you. I was wrong. And can I tell you what we need today in churches with believers is this, the ability to stand up and say, I was wrong. What I did, I have no excuse for what I did. There's no, I'm not going to explain it away. I did what I did was Wrong. And oh, the grace that God would give to a person that repented like that. What I did was completely foolish. I had no excuse. That's what Onesimus did. He said, He came all the way back from Rome. What a journey that would have taken. To come all the way back to your former slave owner, say, I was wrong. That's repentance, it's costly. The next thing we see is that he, he was transformed. Look at verse 11. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. I love this passage because he's saying he's not the same person. Onesimus. He's using a play on words here. The word Onesimus, this name, pay attention, is, it means useful. Onesimus's name meant Useful. As a slave, it was probably given to him as a nickname. Oh, this guy's a hard worker. We're going to name him useful. They probably had some slaves that they nicknamed useless. But in in, in Greek, actually, what's interesting in Greek is this, is the word useful and useless are very similar in pronunciation. And what Paul is saying, listen, this is literally what he's saying. If we were going to translate it into English, you could say it like this. Useful formerly was useless, but now useful is both, he's both, he is now useful both to you and to me. Can I tell you right now that God has a way of taking somebody that was useless. And he has a way of restoring them and working in their heart and they repent and God makes them useful again. A radical change had taken place. Can I say that it's easy for us to get cynical? Are we agreeing? People have wronged us so many times that we start to think, we we hear people make statements like, people don't change. Can I tell you, biblically speaking, people do change? Granted, you might not have seen it very often. You don't witness it too often. But people do change. Onesimus changed. He came back and the guy that his name was useful, then he went to useless. He came back to being useful again because his life was changed with the gospel. That ought to give you some restored hope, right? People do change. The next thing is that he's faithful. Look at verse 12. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels. What's he saying? He said, this guy, he's, he's my heart. I've literally cut my heart out and I've sent him back to you. Paul sent him to Philemon. Can I tell you, uh, in forgiveness in our church, how many of you have ever had somebody in our church? Now, you don't have to tell me names. I don't want to know names. Well, we're not going to stir stuff up here tonight. I'm not going to test your forgiveness, but this is what I want to know. How many of you have ever had somebody come up to you in church and tell you about somebody else in the church? Nobody's like, I'm not raising my hand on that one. All right. We know it happens, right? People that have had a bad experience, people that somebody snapped at them or somebody said the wrong thing over here. What I want you to understand is what is Paul modeling for us tonight? Paul is modeling that when you know that there's something wrong between this believer over here and this believer over here, it's not okay to overlook it. It's not okay to just sweep it under the rug and just to talk about it. You know, he could have just talked to Paul about it in Rome, right? Oh, it's okay. He talked to me about it in Rome. I don't have to send him back. No. When there's a wrong that's done between brothers in Christ, what did he do? He said, I need you to go back to him and make it right. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He didn't act like it didn't happen. Can I tell you as a church what we need? We need this, a calling people to action, a calling people to their calling in Christ. Hey, this is what Christ calls you to. You go make it right with them instead of talking to me about it. Right? And that's what this is modeling. Paul's saying, you are not okay until you make things right with your brother over here. Can I say that all of us, that's a good example for us, when somebody has a problem with another person in the church, another believer, you're not right with God until you've made it right with them. Paul says, this guy, I love him, he's my heart. Look at verse 13. Whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in, thy, in the bonds of the gospel. I wanted to keep him here with me, but I didn't want to force you into it. That's what he's saying. I, he would be useful for me in Rome, but I know he belongs to you. He's your servant, he's your slave, but I'm going to send him back to you. Look at verse 14. But without thy mind, but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit not be as it of necessity, but willingly. I didn't want to do it without your knowledge. And what he's saying is this, guys. Receive him back. Receive him back. Oh, that's a great gospel message right there, isn't it? What you need to understand, the whole book of Philemon, when we talk about forgiveness, it's modeling the gospel. I heard a story about Hubert Humphrey. He was a former vice president in the United States. When he died, hundreds of people across the world came to his funeral. All were welcome, but one former president, Richard Nixon, who had not long previously had dragged himself and his country through the humiliation and the shame of Watergate. Eyes turned away from conversations uh, with him. Eyes turned away from him, conversations. Nobody wanted to talk to him. And Nixon could feel the ostracism coming from everybody. Everybody. Jimmy Carter, the then-serving U.S. President, walked into the room. Carter was from a different political party than he was. But as he moved to his seat, President Carter noticed that Richard Nixon was standing by himself. Carter immediately changed course and walked to Richard Nixon and held out his hand and smiling genuinely, and this is what he said, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. Forgiveness is the ability to receive somebody where normally there would be rejection. When somebody's repented, you are to receive them back as your brother in Christ. That's the Gospel. That's what happened when Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins. God the Father received you back. Not because of how great you are, but because of how great His Son was. So you receive Him back. You say, well, what about if they're not repentant? Well, what did we talk about? If they're not repentant, you still choose to forgive because that releases yourself from that. But let me say this. The cost of forgiveness is great, but the cost of unforgiveness is greater. Let's look at the second thing. We're going to move quicker. The second is this, restoration. 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 You need to begin to trust again. He begins to talk about God's sovereignty. And can you put like in in parentheses, maybe out to the side, what Paul is really going to do with Philemon here is a great, great example for all of us. He's going to expand Philemon's perspective. He's going to say, if you're going to forgive somebody the way that you ought to, you need to see a bigger picture that God is working that you don't even see that's going on. Let's look here at verse 15. What he says. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldst receive him forever. He said maybe the reason why he left was that he would go away and then one day he would come back and he would stay for you with you forever. That his life would be impacted and changed Forever. God had a purpose in what happened. By Lehman, maybe God was using this evil, this bad thing that happened to you for a greater purpose. Can I tell you that when you're going to forgive somebody, you need to have that perspective that there's something that you can learn in that situation. You're like, this is terrible. He stole from me. I lost out. I lost a lot of money there. What good could come from that? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God can overturn, God can overrule any evil and use it for good. He can use any situation to accomplish it for his own purpose. Verse 16, let's look at this. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What he's saying is this. You think God planned what, that when he left you, he'd come back another way? Let me bring it home to us. Let me bring it a little bit closer to home. You think God knew what was going to happen in your situation? You think God knew what that person was going to do to you? Do you think God was not going to work in that situation either A, to teach you a lesson in the middle of it, or B, to change that person's life for the greater good in the situation? What's Paul saying? In everything that happens in your life, whether it be good or bad, whether it be a difficult situation when somebody's wronged you, God has something to teach us in every situation. We don't really feel that way when somebody said something against us. We don't really feel that way when we've been wronged. But if you're going to forgive the way God wants you to, this is a great part. Not because I'm saying that this is a good point. Ability to see some good helps in forgiveness. The problem is, is in forgiveness we only see the bad. We only focus on the the negative of what we've seen instead of focusing on the good thing that resulted from what happened. And What Paul told Philemon was this, is that when he left you, he was a slave. When he came back, he's now a brother in Christ. You lost a slave, but you gained a brother. God overruled it. A temporary separation to lead to an eternal relationship. He's now your brother in Christ. You're going to spend eternity with Him forever in heaven. That's a great perspective, right? Ooh, that was weak. That's a great perspective, right? You know... uh, the ability to see something good in a bad situation is a a really, it's a talent. It's a gift. Because so much in our world, we only see the negative. If you're going to heal the wounds of what somebody's done to you, you have to have ability to be able to see what God is doing in that situation. Otherwise, you will only be bitter. The last thing is this. Restitution. Restitution. There's been a wrong that's that's been done. It needs to be dealt with. And when Onesimus bolted the place, did Philemon lose anything? Yeah, he lost a worker. He was going to lose some money. Uh, apparently, he had stolen money from him as well. He took some possessions. He took some money. He lost some a servant. And in order... He, So he defrauded his master. Now, how's Paul going to deal with this? Onesimus, do you think he had a lot of money to be able to pay him back? How's he going to make things right? You see, this is the biblical principle of restitution. When you've wronged somebody and you've stolen from somebody, you've taken something from somebody, uh, the biblical principle is this, you make it right. I need somebody to help me out. Now, how many of you guys got some, some money on you? Anybody got, like, do you got some money? You, do you have your wallet? I'm being serious. Anybody have their wallet with them? You got money with you? Somebody pull $2. It needs to be bigger than $2. All right. alright oh, right. We're using foreign money. We don't even know how much this is. Okay. All right. The biblical principle of restitution. Holy cow. 10,000 kyats. That's Myanmar. That's worth nothing. All right. That's not going to help me that is it's worth nothing really I know because I've been all right here's the deal I really wish we had some American money here like a hundred would be great all right it's okay it's all right here you can take your money back I need a better example you got a Ooh, look at you that's what I'm talking about okay so brother Ben let's say I I take some money from him a hundred bucks and so uh I've done wrong to how many of you would agree if I took a hundred dollars from brother Ben he's a missionary for goodness sakes a 100 100 a dollars i mean is that wrong let's say uh brother ben i'm sorry i i mean it from the bottom of my heart i'm sorry but i'm still going out to lunch afterwards I'm going out to dinner actually i'm sorry i took your money but uh you forgive me uh, he said uh, we'll talk about it later but here's the di- you're not getting this back. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, that, but here's the deal of, uh, in, in restitution. Biblically, as a believer, when you've taken something from somebody else, not only are you to pay it, not only are you to tell them, apologize and make things right with them, but biblically, you're to go beyond that to make sure that the account is settled. You understand? And what's going to happen here is this. It's not going to be okay just to pay it back. You you remember the biblical story about Zacchaeus, the tax collector? When he came to faith in Christ, what did he do? Did he just go back and just, uh, here's the money back. I'm going to just give it back to you. Did he just give him back what he had taken? Was that it? What did he do? He gave him back fourfold. Was it fourfold? Yeah, that's right. I'm not doing that. Not tonight. I didn't really take it. I gave it back. All right. So here we go. But listen, that's restitution. It's making it be- paying it back. It's making sure that it's been settled 100%. There's no more grudges. There's nothing else they can bring back up again. And what we have today, a lot of times, is just really cheap, right? Oh, I'm sorry. But the biblical principle is this. It's going beyond what you've taken to make it right. That's what a person that follows Christ does. When they've been radically saved by the gospel, they'll go to whatever means it takes to make things right. So how's he going to deal with restitution? Onesimus is a slave. Look at verse 17. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. I love that. Treat him like you treat me. I know he doesn't have much money. Welcome him back like you would welcome your, me. And I know you love me. Look at verse 18. If he hath wronged thee and oweth thee aught, put that on my account. That's great. Put it on my account. Do you think Paul had the money to pay him back? Really? I mean, he's a prisoner in Rome. Things aren't going great for him. He's renting a house as he's in prison in Rome. He might have had a little bit. But listen, it would be right for Philemon to say, You have to come back and work and make it right. You're going to work for me until you pay it back. That would be okay. That would be right. But listen to me it isn't wrong to be gracious, it isn't wrong to overlook an offense. It wouldn't have been wrong for Philemon to say, I know you weren't a believer. Now you're a believer. You've been transformed. I no longer hold you responsible for what you did. That would be modeling God's grace and God's mercy and forgiveness. Either way, it's right. Now, what, what's happening, and, and I'm going to close with this, is he saying, I'm not going to force you into the corner about what you have to do with the situation. You can make him pay him back, You can make him work for it. That's okay. But it's also okay if you choose to overlook it and to forgive the debt that he he had caused you to go into. There needs to be restitution. Now let me close with this thought. Paul is modeling what? What Jesus Christ did for you. In the story as we ta- discussed last week if you're going to understand the Bible you always have to put yourself in the story. In the story what Onesimus is who? Is us. We're the one that have sinned and incurred a debt that we can't pay back. Philemon is who? God the Father. We're the ones that sinned against him. In the story Paul is who? He's the advocate, the one that's coming in between, saying, Put it on my account. Forgive him for my sake. If he owes you anything, put it on me. And you know what he's doing? It's a picture of the gospel, folks. Anytime you choose to forgive, you're saying, This is what Jesus Christ has done for me, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. That's why we have to have a biblical understanding of forgiveness. In this day, when we forgive, you know what you're doing? You're modeling forgiveness in a dark world. A world that holds grudges, that never gives up, that never forgets what others have done. Stands in stark contrast to a world that's filled with hate. I heard a story, and we'll close with this. There was fighting that was going on in the country of Lebanon in the 1970s. There was a seminarian student that was, he was walking from one village to the next when he was ambushed by a guerrilla soldier in the country of, of Lebanon. This guerrilla soldier was, held him captive and led him down a mountain trail. And he was sure that he was going to be shot. But an amazing thing happened. As they were working their way down the trail, this seminarian who had received military training was able to surprise his captor and was able to disarm him. Now the table was turned, and he was now leading him down the trail. As they walked, however, the student of theology began to reflect on what was happening. He began to think about Bible verses that he had read before. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Turn the other cheek. He found that he could go no further. And what he did is he decided to take the gun that he had in his hands, and he threw it into the bushes... And he told that soldier, he said, you're free to go. And he turned back up the hill and took off. Minutes later, this seminarian student, he heard the footsteps coming from behind him. He's like, oh great, this is how it's going to end. Perhaps that guy went back and got the gun and he followed me all the way back over here. But he continued on until the enemy finally caught back up with him. And that man, he ran all the way back only to grab him and embrace him and to tell him, thank you for saving my life. And every time we decide not to get back at somebody who's hurt us, every time we choose to forgive, we exercise one of the greatest powers, and that's the power to choose a better way. God's way. Forgiveness. I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Is there somebody that you're still holding a grudge against? Is there somebody that's wronged you? I wonder how many of you would say even tonight, you know, as we go through this biblical model of forgiveness, I have somebody that I need to forgive. I have a grudge. I have somebody I need to make something right with. You won't be able to get past it. You'll be held captive. You'll never be. You'll grow bitter and angry until you're willing to forgive.